Tonight we are going to speak about, I'd like to speak about the incomparable greatness of God. We began a series on the doctrine of God. When we think about theology, theology is made up of two words, theos, which is the word God, and the latter half is from logos. It's a word about God or the science of God, the doctrine of God. Theology proper is the doctrine of God himself, who he is. All the other doctrines that we think about when we think about systematic theology are tied to that one, and it's God who in relationship to these other doctrines we understand uh, from the word of God. And we understand that our knowledge of God comes from two sources. One is natural revelation. Can anybody give me a place where we find that? where nature is telling us, okay, Romans 1, it is telling us about there's a, the divine nature of God, the power of God, where else? Psalm 19, and it says the heavens are declaring the glory of God. And then the second is what? The revelation of God. There's special revelation. There's natural revelation. And in special revelation is God revealing himself because in natural revelation, we don't learn anything about God's love, his grace, his mercy, but it is in special revelation that we are given um, these great and wonderful truths about who he is and his attributes. And as we think about God, we could divide up as we think of who he is we can talk about the greatness of God, and we're going to look at that first of all in these next, uh, well, we're going to be off a couple of weeks, but the greatness of God, um, that he is spirit, that he is triune, that he is all-powerful, um, that he is self-existent, he is eternal. These are things that are true about his nature. And then we're going to talk about the goodness of God, and those, those are what we might call the moral attributes of God, um, his holiness, his grace, his mercy, and so forth. Um, so we're going to begin here tonight with the incomparable greatness of God. And I, again, confess m my sense of inadequacy to even speak about this God who has revealed himself. And I feel with Paul, who is adequate for these things? And I certainly am aware of that uh, as we, as we consider the doctrine of God. In the Catechism, or in the uh, Westminster Confession and the 1689 London Baptist Confession, when it talks about who God is, one of the things it declares in so many words is that he is the greatest and he is the best of all beings. The greatest and the best of all beings. And um, in, song, in the Song of Moses, as the children of Israel have been delivered out of Egypt and they've come through the Red Sea, here is Moses having witnessed these things that the God of Israel has done for them. And he is overwhelmed and he breaks forth in song to God. And we read these words in Exodus 15, 11, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? That's a rhetorical question. Moses isn't seeking for an answer. It's meant to 
say there, there is no one like this. Um, and can you imagine this? You have witnessed God delivering in such a powerful way as he has bared his arm and brought the plagues upon Egypt, the most powerful king of the day, and he's brought slave people out of bondage. He's opened up the Red Sea, and they have passed through on dry ground, and then those waters have covered the Egyptian army and destroyed them. And, and Moses says, who is like you? There is no one like this, the God of Israel. The psalmist says the same thing in Psalm 113 and verse 5. Who is like the Lord our God who dwells on high? Who is like him? And I think here in Psalm 145 in verse 3, we have kind of a simple summary statement of this truth. He's speaking here. David is speaking about God, and David, David expresses this high view of God in verse 1. I'll extol you, oh, uh, I will extol you, my God, O king. He's the king, and he is God, Elohim, the Almighty One. I will bless your name. Now, remember, a name is representative of the person. And the name stands for all that God is. It's not just a title, but it is referring to everything that is true, the attributes of God, the whole panorama of God's divine attributes. I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Oh, that, that would be true of us. I, I know it's not always true of me. I don't always wake up in the morning thinking about this and giving praise to him. But every day I will bless you. May that be more and more true of us. And then he says this, great is the Lord. There's that word great. He is great. And as we'll hopefully see tonight, there, that it is an incomparable greatness. There's no one that can be compared to God. The Lord, uh, the Lord Yahweh is great, and he's greatly to be praised. That only makes sense. He's greatly to be praised. And then he says this, David says, his greatness is unsearchable. His greatness is unsearchable. It is unfathomable. I think the NIV translates this, his greatness no one can fathom. No one can fathom. You can't search it out. You can't investigate his greatness and come to the bottom of it. It's beyond full comprehension. And you know, as we look at creation, there are a lot of things in creation that we, we just can't completely understand either. This is God's creation that he has made. And wherever we look, we see the handiwork of God. And it brings us sometimes to the end of ourselves that we can't understand things about the universe in which we live. There are things that we, we know, uh, but we don't fully comprehend. Um, think about quantum physics. I don't know anything about quantum physics. <laughs> I don't even know how to explain it, but I know I could never understand that. And so it is with a lot of great minds. I look at GPS. I'm flabbergasted by GPS that that thing can tell me to go out in the middle of nowhere and it'll tell you things that are there. 
how do they know all those things? How does it know that? I don't know. I use it. But when we think about God and his greatness, there is no one like him. It is incomparable. It is incomparable greatness. So he's the king. Verse 5 says that I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. The majesty of God. We use that sometimes in terms of earthly rulers, the her majesty, your majesty. But this is used of God uniquely, of the one who is majestic. Psalm 93.1 says, the Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. Everything about him is, is majestic and glorious. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. He has always been king. He's always been majestic. And uh, from eternity past into eternity future. Peter was one that was privileged to see the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he saw the glory of God in Jesus there on the Mount of Transfiguration. And when he speaks about that in his epistle, in his second epistle, uh, he says this, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. The outshining of the glory of God was seen in Jesus Christ, his majesty. And then in Hebrews, the apostle speaks about the fact that God in times past, he spoke to us through the Father, to the fathers, through the prophets in various asundry ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us in his son, who's the heir of all things, who brought everything into existence. And after he had made purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He sat down at the right hand. The Son of God sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Himself clothed with majesty as well. But God is referred to as the one who is majestic. He is high. He is lifted up. And his greatness is unsearchable. And so sometimes we talk about the incomprehensibility of God, that we cannot fully comprehend the glory, the wonder, the majesty of this God, his greatness. There are things that we do know. There are things that God has revealed to us, but our knowledge of him is partial. It's limited. And even what we do know, we don't ever get to the bottom of it. Um, and so as we think about the greatness of God, there's always more for us to comprehend, knowing that we'll never comprehend it completely. And uh, Deuteronomy 28, 28 says that the secret things belong to the Lord our God. There are things that God hasn't revealed to us. There are things about maybe himself that we don't know, but the things that we need to know, he has made known. He's revealed them to us and our children. And so we are thankful for that. But this God is incomparably great. Job knew this. Can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? And interestingly enough, when we get to the end of Job, the book of Job, we find Job, he, he wants a day, his day in court. He wants to talk to God. He wants a, you know, a face-to-face -face 
conversation with him. You remember as Job ends up, it says, okay, Job, let me, let me school you a little bit. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? And we go through several chapters like that where you can just see Job shrinking, becoming smaller and smaller and smaller in light of the glory and the greatness of God. And who are you, Job? And when we get to the end of, in chapter 42, um, there we hear Job saying, you know, I, I was foolish to talk like that. And, and he humbles himself before this God. And uh, so this greatness of God is incomparable. There is no one like him. David's prayer after, the, after God had made a covenant with him and said he would establish his throne forever and ever. David says in 1 Chronicles 17, 20, Who am I? Who am I? Lord, you have done this. There is none like you, O Lord, and there is no God besides you. David was watching sheep out in the pastures. God called him to be the king of Israel and gave to him these amazing promises that he would make of his dynasty, of his house, an everlasting dynasty. We can read about that as we get to the Gospels and the genealogy that is given there coming from the line of David is the promised Messiah king who will rule and reign forever. And David says, there's no one like you. Who am I that you would do this for me? And he's, again, I think amazed at the greatness of this God and what he has done for him. And there's none like you, O Lord. There is no God besides you. And so we understand in the scriptures, there is only one true and living God. The deities are not in competition with one another to see who is the greatest, the most powerful. There is, it's not, there's no polytheism. There is only one God. He is the all-powerful one. So in the minds of many of the ancient days, there was this idea of this competition, if you will, might our God is bigger than your God. And uh, David is clearly aware there is no God besides you. And then we sang about Abraham tonight. When Melchizedek meets Abraham, he says to Abraham in Genesis 14, 19, and 20 that he was, a, he was the priest of the Most High. Melchizedek was the priest of the Most High. And, of course, he is a type of Christ who is the same. And when he blesses Abraham, he said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High possessor of heaven and earth. Blessed be this God. He is the most high. He is the greatest and the best of all beings. His greatness exceeds all others. There are no rivals. There are no contenders. There is no one who is like him. And this is, again, witnessed in creation, but also in revelation that God has given to us. Now, as we think about this incomparable greatness of God, turn, if you will, to Romans chapter 1. I think this is, these are familiar verses to us. 
but we see that this greatness of God has, there's what we might say a total eclipse of his greatness and of his glory. In Romans 1, as we've already said, is that natural revelation, creation, is telling us something about God. And for this reason, men are accountable to this God. And what do they do with this knowledge that creation is shouting at them? They suppress it. So verse 18, for the wrath of God is, it's a present tense, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And what do they do? They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. As fallen sons of Adam, that will we, that's what we do. We have enmity in our heart for God, for God, and we would suppress truth, whether it be a natural revelation or the word of God, we, we left to ourselves suppress that truth in unrighteousness. Men love darkness rather than the light. They won't come to the light, as John tells us. Verse 19, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So there are things about the, the being of God that can be seen in creation, his power, that he is eternal, uh, the deity of, of God, the godhood of God. There are things that are seen, and, and they suppress that truth in unrighteousness, and they will... And as a result of that, they, they are without excuse. We all stand guilty before a holy God. We have suppressed truth left to ourselves. And although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, <clears throat> but they came futile, became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged, costly exchanged, they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible men and birds and four-footed animals and creepy things. And therefore, God also gave them over to uncleanness, to the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves. And they exchanged the truth of God for the lie. And notice this next phrase, they worshiped and they served the creature, the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. This glorious, incomparably great God, they suppress the truth left to themselves and they worship, not the creator, this all glorious one, but they worship the creature rather than the creator. And so the incomparable greatness of God has been eclipsed, we might say, by fallen sons of Adam. But I think we could also say that oftentimes, even among the professing church, this greatness of God is sometimes eclipsed as well, and maybe in our own lives. Sadly, um, 
we lose sight of the greatness and the glory of God. And we exchange it for a lower view of God. Often you will hear this when you listen to some TV preachers or radio preachers. You just sense there is not this awe and wonder of God. Sometimes he's presented as this weakling, if you will. And there is this low view of God. His greatness is undermined. And to some lesser or greater degree, we fail to see the greatness and the glory of God. Psalm 50, 21, as God chides his people, he says they had been living sinful lives and God had stepped in and judged them. And, and, and he said, you thought that I was just like you. You thought I was like you. But he would come and he would set things in order. Luther, as he would debate with Erasmus, and uh, he said one time of Erasmus, and they went back and forth on the will of man, the free will of man, or uh, the, as, as Luther would write, the bondage of the will, that the, bond, the will is in bondage to who we are uh, in, as fallen sons of Adam. And he said this of Erasmus at one point. He said, your thoughts of God are too human. They are too human. Isaiah 40, we find the people of God there in a wonderful chapter that speaks about the greatness and the glory of God, that the nations are just like a drop of water in a bucket in comparison to, to who God is. And at the end of that chapter, it says this, that why do you say, O Israel, and assert, O Judah, that my way is hidden from the Lord and the justice due me has escaped his notice. Men forget who God is often. They lose sight of the greatness and the glory of who God is, his incomparable greatness. And we even see Jesus rebuking the churches in Revelation 2 and 3 of those who had lost their first love, uh, the church of Laodicea, Laodicea. and uh, uh, and uh, they had abandoned their first love, um, and, and God, uh, Jesus, rebukes them. Um, and then as we think about this greatness of God, we recognize that um, we too can have small thoughts of God, low views of God. Maybe it's not something we would say with our lips, but it's being conveyed by the manner in which we are living when we are maybe full of fear, when there is not a real complete trust. We're like Israel. Lord, have you forgotten me? I'm, are, has your justice, you know, escaped and, and you have forgotten me? And sometimes it's revealed in that kind of a disposition. Maybe it's sometimes re revealed in our worship, that our worship can be really sometimes ho-hum. We really are not filled with joy and ex exaltation as David expresses there in Psalm 145 for our God. And uh, it's seen in what we might say is irreverent behavior and, and worship. Um, it can be seen in our lack of a, a holy zeal to know God, to want to know him more. Um, and we lose sight of who this one is, the greatest and the best of all beings. Now, when we think of human figures um, that are well-known and great, uh, 
there's a desire to know more about them. A lot of times we like to read books about them or if we get to know somebody like that, we feel very privileged to, to know them. But here is God, the greatest and the best of all beings, and yet we fail to know him as we ought and as he has given us the opportunity. Um, let us draw near unto God. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace. Let us come to this God we are exhorted in the book of, um, in, in the book of Hebrews. Um, so this, the incomparable greatness of God, it's easy to lose sight of that. God becomes small, and we lose sight of his greatness and majesty. A.W. Tozier, in his book on the knowledge of the holy, uh, related uh, in this book about the low views that we often find in the professing church, he said this, I believe there is scarcely an error in doctrine or in failure in applying Christian ethics that cannot be traced finally to imperfect and ignoble thoughts about God. So necessary in the church is a lofty concept of God that when that concept in any measure declines, the church with her worship and her moral standards declines along with it. The first step down for any church is taken when it surrenders its high opinion of God. Its high opinion of God. And that's often seen in many churches today. I pray that it will not be true of us. I pray that we are growing to know better this God and live in fear of him. That we would be like Joseph. How can I commit this great sin and sin against my God uh, who is great? Um, Spur, or excuse me, J.I. Packer in his book on knowing God, speaking about this, that it's lacking in the church, a high view of God, he said, and that is the reason our faith is so feeble and our worship is so flabby. <laughs> our, we, our, our faith is so feeble and our worship is so flabby. Well, as we think about this, as we have elevated views of who God is, his incomparable greatness, it should be transformative. That's why I said when I began this series that this is something that's not just academic, that it should be that which enhances our understanding of who God is and has a transformative effect upon us. And uh, so as we think about that, it should affect our worship. So the psalmist David says, great is the Lord, and he is greatly to be praised. It should affect not only our corporate worship, but our personal worship day by day in our prayer life, in our seeking to know God through his word, that it brings us to worship and to adore, adore him and to bless him as he says, every day I will bless you. And it should also have an effect um, in our witness that we will tell, verse four, one generation shall praise your works to another. We wanna tell these things about our God. We want to express that to others in our conversation. This morning we talked about love. Biblical love is a spiritual kind of love. It's not just, it is helping others but it's more than just a physical thing. It is a spiritual thing. The spirit of God lives within us. 
and therefore it is a biblically informed kind of love. And uh, so we want to encourage others as we speak into their lives. And so the psalmist talks about the wonders of God to lift and elevate this God who is good and what a help to the people of God. And it brings him to want to wander uh, about this great God. I will meditate, verse five, I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. May we never lose the sense of wonder about our God and his grace and his mercy and his kindness to us. Um, let me just read another quote here by J.I. Packer. When we talk about knowing God, it's not just head knowledge, it's not just academic, but what does it mean to know him and to make good use of this revelation and knowledge of himself? He said, we must seek in studying God to be led to God. It was for this purpose that revelation was given and it is to this use that we must put it. How are we to do this? How can we turn our knowledge about God into knowledge of God? The rule for doing this is demanding, but simple. It is that we turn each truth that we learn about God into matter for meditation before God, leading to prayer and praise to God. Meditation is the activity of calling to mind and thinking over and dwelling on the applying to oneself the various things that one knows about the works and ways and purposes and promises of God. It is an activity of holy thought consciously performed in the presence of God under the eye of God by the help of God as a means of communion with God. May God, by his grace, make that to be more and more true of us, that we don't, we're not just hearers of that word, but we're doers of it, and we're not just hearers of it, but we take that word about our God and we think upon it. We think upon it, as it were, in the presence of God and, and that it will lead us to know him better. And we can say with the psalmist, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Well, may God help us that we may have elevated views of our God and to recognize that there is none like him, the incomparable greatness of our God. And we'll look at some of those things in the weeks, months to come. Well, let's stand and we'll be dismissed with a word of prayer. Tonight, Father, 